Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Deeper Still, a podcast where we carve out space for meaningful conversation about God and life as we seek to pay attention to the ways He calls us to go deeper still in relationship with Him and with one another. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the joy of being the host of this podcast, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Well, I am so very excited about our conversation today, and I know I say this every time because I am excited about every conversation that we have, but today I'm introducing a topic that not only have we not covered before, but it's one I think we need to actually spend more time as a culture and as a church community thinking and talking about. And I'll just be honest, by we, I mean people here on this podcast who are over the age of like 29, like I am. Because it's a conversation about what it's like to be an emerging adult in today's evolving culture what it's like to have more options about the future than ever before, but with added financial pressures, less security, and big questions about community and faith. It's also a conversation that illustrates why it's so important for emerging adults to have communities of faith who can listen, who can empathize, who can walk alongside them and encourage them to be all that God wants to be, especially as they search for identity, purpose, and belonging. Friends, this conversation is so deep and rich today, and I just have to say, if you are a parent of a young person in their 20s, you are not going to want to miss a single word. To help guide us in this conversation today, we have one of the best in the field. I'm so excited to welcome Steve Argue to the podcast. Steve is an associate professor of youth, family, and culture at Fuller Theological Seminary and is the applied research strategist for the Fuller Youth Institute. He has served as a pastor on the lead team at Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He has coached and trained church leaders and volunteers and has been invested in youth ministry conversations for more than 20 years. Steve researches, he speaks, he writes all on adolescent and emerging adult spirituality, and he does it all over the country. Steve is also the co-author and contributor of a number of books including Growing With, Every Parent's Guide to Helping Teenagers and Young Adults Thrive in Their Faith, Family, and Future, and Young Adult Ministry Now, both of which we will touch on in our conversation today. Steve lives in Southern California. He runs marathons. He is a master on social media platforms, so I do encourage you to check him out at Stephen Argue. But friends, now, whatever you're doing, wherever you find yourself, saddle up, settle in, and listen in as Steve and I go deeper still. Well, Steve, welcome to Deeper Still. It's so great to have you here today. Hi, Sue Ann. So good to be with you. Really looking forward to our conversation. As am I. I've already enjoyed the little bit we've gotten to talk, uh, even leading up to this. I, one of the things I've appreciated you ab- about you from a distance, uh, watching your Instagram, watching your videos, reading your stuff, is I can just tell how relatable you are and just how um, easy you are to talk to. And so I appreciate that about you already in our short time together. Oh, I'm so glad you follow me. That's just awesome. I don't know who <laughs> follows me. I, I it is a, it is really great. And I love what I do. I love uh, inviting people into what I do. And uh, I'm just really, really grateful for for you and your church and all the great things you guys are, are doing in the Chicago suburbs. Um, 
you know, just kudos to all of you. And it's just great to have a chance to connect with you. Well, we appreciate that. Just for our audience listening. So Steve, you're out on the West Coast joining us today, um, this beautiful gift called technology. I was cracking up because I was just looking at your Instagram not long ago, and I saw that you had um, posted something about putting on a pair of boots and a flannel to go hiking. And you said you're channeling your like Midwest. This is your connection to the Midwest. And I thought, yes, this is our guy. This is our person. I know. It's totally right. Yes. uh, Thankfully, I mean, and I love every bit of it. I, I am born and raised in the Midwest, um, spent some time in Chicagoland as well. So especially in fall, I'm just kind of longing for that fall vibe. And uh, any chance I get to put on a flannel and some boots in the fall, it just feels a bit like home. So totally with you. I love it. It's my favorite time of year here. Uh, one of the best. So I, I appreciate that. Well, Steve, we have so much ground to cover today. Mm-hmm. I confess I am not only a ministry leader and someone who cares about young adults, but I'm also a parent of two 20-year-olds, 20-somethings. And yeah. so this topic is definitely near and dear to my heart. And also mm-hmm. um, just I want to learn. And I think mm-hmm. the more we can soak in, the better we are all going to be. And mm-hmm. so what I wanted to start out doing is just just for our audience to frame some context. So we're going to be talking about young adults today, but there's a lot of different terms that come with that. There's young adults, there's emerging adults, there's adolescents, there's Gen Z, there's Gen iGen. And so help us just from the right at the beginning, how do we define this generation and who are we talking about? Yeah, so man, that's a great question. And this does, um, even what you just mentioned, all those terms, I think it breeds a bit of confusion as to who we are talking about. And I think that we feel that, especially as ministry leaders, um, but also as parents, um, because with those uh, those uh, definitions or labels or terms comes certain expectations as well, um, assumptions that we have about who people in their 20s are and everything that comes with that. So a lot of the work that I do um, is exactly what you're asking, to try to give some clarity to uh, what that is all about. So let me try to give you a really brief synopsis of of how I think about this. So um, uh, what we find with those in their 20s is is, uh, sort of a unique uh, period in life. I mean, we know that adolescence, the research would suggest is about 10 to 18 right now. Um, it's it's extending in itself simply because young people are becoming adolescents, moving from childhood earlier. They're um, moving into puberty earlier and all that comes with that. Um, but there is something about 18 that happens where a, a, a young person sort of moves from sort of the general and shared rhythms that typically, and I know this is typical is a, a, an interesting word, but uh, that uh, teenagers typically go through um, in their adolescent years. Most go to high school. Most have that sort of schedule. Most may be involved in some sort of ec- extracurricular activity. Most may be under uh, the rooftop of a parent or guardian, right? So the, the rhythms, the patterns, the experiences are a little more similar in, in adolescent years, but something happens at 18. All of a sudden, I graduate from high school and the world opens up to me. I have new options that I've never had before. I, I can go to college, I can join the military, I can take a gap year, I can travel the world, I can work. All these options are open um, to me. And, um, and I think for someone who is 18, 19, 20 years old, this is a time of, of incredible, 
incredible like possibility that they've never had before. And it's a time of tremendous anxiety as well, because all of a sudden these options open up all these new questions for them. So one of the most haunting questions that bother 18, 19 year olds are like, so what are you going to do with your life? Where are you going to go to college? Like what's next? Like it's a fair question, but for someone that age, it's an overwhelming question because it's exciting and scary all at the same time. Now, emerging adulthood, um, it, it is a term, it's a developmental term, um, is really about age 18 to about up to 30. And there's something about age 30 where most people in their 20s want to have some traction in their life, and especially three areas. Their relationships, uh, that could be community or romantic partner, partner or friendships. Their vocation, <coughs> so where they're working or what they're investing their life in. And then something associated with belief. This could be faith. This could be conviction. Um, it could be, uh, it's sort of like they want to know like why they do what they want to do, right? So they are working really hard in their 20s to sort of figure that out along the way. Now, what's interesting about emerging adulthood is this, is that as we look at uh, uh, this period, we sometimes hear and get a critique of, um, well, why do young people take so long to grow up today? Why are, you know, when I was 23, I was already married, had a job, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I, I think sometimes um, an older generation sort of looks at this generation as like, oh my gosh, like, why don't you get your act together and just kind of get on with life? The reality is, is that we live in a world now, and this is where emerging adulthood comes into to, uh, place, where a couple of things are happening. One, the human brain isn't fully developed till 25. So we're still developing like as human beings developmentally. Secondly, it just takes longer to grow up today. Um, in the past, you could get a high school diploma and go work a job in, and that would pay well enough for you to basically raise a family. That's not the case anymore. Most of our kids um, need at least college or uh, advanced training, or they need um, uh, you know, even advanced degrees after that. And so you have what's happening is um, young people needing more time to kind of achieve this idea of, a, of adulthood. What also makes it really hard is that the markers for adulthood keep changing. Like for a young adult, it's completely confusing. At 18, I can vote, but I can't drink till I'm 21. <laughs> and I can't rent a car till I'm 25. Right? <laughs> right. So, you know, so when am I an adult? And what we know from like uh, other research theory, especially like, um, rites of passage and things like that. There's two parts that are important for a person to take a rite of passage into a new space. One is um, a community, uh, a young person like feels like they're stepping into a new like role in society, right? That they, it, it, there's a part that's associated with that. But the other part is that society actually recognizes the individual as stepping into a new role in society. And this is where oftentimes it's really confusing for young people because they're told to grow up, but they're not told how. They're told to become an adult, but there's no clear path anymore. And so a lot of this rests on um, young people having to make those um, choices themselves. So it's like emerging adulthood isn't necessarily a choice as much as it's a phenomenon that's happening that's wrapped up in development and everything else. Really quick, let me just talk about a couple other things that you brought up. We also know that there are sociological terms that often define a, a generation, right? You've heard of the, you know, uh, the millennials, right. Um, uh, who, you know, basically like, you know, have depleted the avocado supply and there was the housing market. That's kind of how we think about them. Right. Um, let's just remember that right now, um, you know, uh, 
millennials are, are into their 40s, okay? They get older with time. So when we talk about millennial, we're talking actually about an older age range. What comes behind that is Gen Z. I mean, they're um, basically uh, about 10 to, you know, 23, 25, depending on who you talk with. Um, and so they're sort of in this teenage, um, moving into um, 20 something um, sort of range and you've got um, cohorts behind that. These are sociological terms where the cohorts continually get older. Now, what's interesting about generations is this, is that sometimes there's significant things that happen either nationally or globally that, um, that shape a young person in their formative years, especially their teenage or um, their 20 something years, right? So for millennials, we might say, well, 9-11 for American millennials was really significant. It shaped the way they thought about terror, about their the United States' place in the world, how we think about the military, we think about all these sort of things that sort of would go on with that. Um, we would probably say that this generation, Gen Z, is really um, going to be impacted uh, ongoingly um, because of, of the pandemic, right? Um, it's shaping the way they think about family or education or the internet um, and everything else associated with that, right? So generational terms are helpful in that it helps us realize that we uh, grow up in different periods of life with different um, hopes and stressors associated with that. Developmentally, emerging adulthood helps us recognize the fact that this is actually a part of human development. Like everybody goes through it at some level um, through their 20s, and that becomes really, really important. And, you know, I think when we keep these things in mind, it helps us recognize the fact, and I tell this to parents and leaders all the time, like just because you were in your 20s once or a teenager once doesn't necessarily mean that you understand 20-somethings or teenagers mm. today. Mm. doesn't mean that your experience was bad, wrong, or indifferent. It's just that we have to recognize the fact that, that a new generation has a new set of experiences, questions, challenges that they are facing. And um, so uh, as parents, like kids don't really like, hey, you know, when I was your age, you know, this is what I did. Because while as adults, we think that's sort of a bridge builder, for them, it actually is a barrier because they're like, when you were my age, like you, like you use CDs, like, you know, <laughs> like the internet wasn't like totally formed yet. Right. So, right. you know, I, I think, I, I, I think that I think it just helps us remember that so much of our job as parents and as leaders, as we, as we interact with emerging adults is, is to just not assume who they are, but to be mm. curious about who they are. Um, and then that helps us appreciate um, who they are. And, um, and I, I can tell really quickly when I talk with adults, like if they're curious and appreciative, or if they're just sort of superimposing their experiences um, on, on young people for, for beautiful reasons. Sometimes they're worried about right. them. They love their kids. Like right now, like your audience, like when we talk about emerging adults, they're not thinking about the term. They're actually thinking about their son or daughter or grandchild or, or, you know, niece or nephew or someone, right? Like this becomes very personal really quickly. And we want our young people to succeed, but I think there's a challenge with us thinking about how do we uh, empathetically perspective take and try to appreciate where they're coming from? Because I think they are wrestling with some different things. Yes. All right, I'm going to breath there, and I just like said a lot. You did say a lot. You said so many good things. I imagine people listening are going to go back and like mm. start listen again and just pull some of those things apart. So let's yeah, pull a couple. And it's I talk okay. too. So sorry about oh, that. That's all right. We we can do fast talkers. That's okay. Um, I think let's go back then and let's mm. let's pick apart a few of these things because you said right. some really important things. Mm. I think one of the things you said, I know um, we recently looked at some of your research in a leadership team meeting, and that's actually what um, 
prompted me to reach out to see if we mm-hmm. could do this podcast because it's so good. Mm-hmm. And the same thing that struck me is one of the things that you just shared that you also said, anytime you do a seminar or workshop, teach a class, this is the thing when you share this, people pull out their phones and start taking pictures of screens <laughs> yeah. because you talk about how the trajectory for young adults for, I will put myself in this category, someone my age, I'm a Gen Xer, so someone yeah. my age or older, yeah. um, you know, we had a pretty clear line. You went to high school, not everybody, but you know, you right. went to high school, you went to college, you got a job, you got married, you had kids. It kind of, there was an expected path that we were to follow and a lot of us did. And right. you even say that that path is in America, especially that's the path to success. That's what we right. think it should look like. Yep. And so this generation of emerging adults their path doesn't look like that. Instead of a straight line, and you have some great slides I'm going to try to um, share on social whenever I post this, yeah. but you have some great slides that show like our lines might have looked very linear, linear uh-huh. while the path of emerging adults today looks more like kind of this swirly, twirly um, right. roller coaster because right. there's not one path. And right. their path is affected by a lot of different things. And it looks right. very different. You mentioned gap years. You mentioned the fact that um, college is taking longer. People get married older. Finances are at play. And so I, now I will stop talking. I want to pause there mm. and just ask you if you can unpack a little bit more about those two trajectories. And yeah. why, especially the the second trajectory, what some of the factors are that lead to it looking so different for emerging adults today than even it was a generation ago? Yeah, great question. Yeah, we we call that side our money slide because everybody takes a picture of it. It's hilarious. Um, uh, and you're going to post some things on that. But for our viewers, you've, imagine a slide where you, you have uh, what Suanne mentioned, high school, maybe college, uh, marriage, children all over again, uh, this linear line that um, perhaps we've been told we should aspire toward, or this is the path to adulthood, which many people follow. And I think in many ways, it was easier generations ago, simply because the paths were much more defined and almost much more expected. The downside of this, especially for females, was that the linear path also meant less options. Like you, a generation or two ago, you had much less options when it came to what does one do um, once I grow up? You know, am I going to be a parent? Am I going to choose a job of which they were limited? Um, and so this, um, some things change in some ways, some really great ways. There are more possibilities. There are more ways that um, people can engage their gifts and talents and passions for the world and, and make a living for themselves, right? So I think that there's some wonderful opportunities, again, especially for women, more options available to them. The challenge with that, however, is that um, oftentimes these paths, because they're less beaten and there's they're more diverse, can often be rather lonely. There's just, there's not, uh, everybody's not doing it. And so um, sometimes I think that for young people, I think, this becomes a challenge because they're asked in many ways to um, find their way with uh, with not necessarily a lot of, of help along the way. And um, we just live in a world too where um, I, I think um, or, uh, organizations are less uh, apt to be committed to their workers. So especially people in their 20s can be seen as disposable. Mm. Um, there's less commitment there. The pension and all that sort of thing is gone. 
Um, and so I think that oftentimes emerging adults have to play a role of being just more of like a free agent. As a matter of fact, um, a, a colleague friend of mine, he uh, his senior seminar class um, for college seniors was like, okay, I'm going to prepare you to be adaptable and agile because mm. what you learned here in college is fine, but some of the things will be obsolete by the time that you get out. And, and so we live in a world that's changing so fast because of technology and other things as well, that a young person can't like develop a set of skills and then just kind of ride it out. Like they're constantly having to reinvent themselves because of the world that they're a part of. So all these factors, again, um, impact them for better and for worse. I mean, I'm not saying that technology is bad or that or anything else. I'm just saying that the world that they live in um, requires for them to be more agile. And that often leads to a lot of different paths um, about the ways that they think about um, their career. Uh, oftentimes it means delaying um, uh, marriage because uh, a lot of them still want to be married, but that's something that they have to push down the road because they feel like they need to handle these professional um uh, competencies beforehand. It, it oftentimes pushes uh, even children uh, even farther down the road. Um, and, uh, and that is sort of a reality that we're part of. And so this kind of blows up um, oftentimes a lot of expectations that people have of them. Um, people want grandkids or they or churches don't know what to do with single people. Um, and singleness is almost seen as like, Oh, you're single. I hope you find someone someday where there's just a lot of emerging adults that are like, I really am comfortable with my singleness. I have a community. I'm doing what I like to do. That that doesn't mean I don't want a significant relationship down the road, but that's not like, that's not a marker for me anymore. And I think that's what's so crucial about this is that the markers that um, perhaps uh, that have been there in the past of getting married or, uh, you know, landing that you know, that dream job um, have been replaced by other things that oftentimes um, uh, emerging adults care about more, um, making decisions for themselves, finding financial stability, these type of things. They're not mutually exclusive. It's just that that's not necessarily the case anymore. So, you know, I mean, I've had emerging adults say to me, like people say to me all the time, emerging adult, like, why don't you just grow up and get a job? Like that's sort of the mentality. And, you know, and again, I, I don't think it's ill intended. I just think that for emerging adults, I just don't think that that path is quite as, as easy. So I think with that comes different needs that they have, different support that they need from the people that, that love them. And, um, and if we're not careful, I think we can uh, superimpose judgment on their path um, rather than just try to, to understand that. And that path is not only the career path, it's the spiritual path, it's the relational path, it's all these different paths, right? And I think as a parent also of 20-somethings, of I mean, I kind of want my kids to do my path because right. I know my path. Like I could tell them like what to look for and how to navigate it. And um, I could probably send uh, prevent them a lot of pain, but they're not called to live my path. They're called to live their path, you know, and I have to somehow trust God that God is working in their lives. And my job as a parent is to somehow accompany their path as someone that supports them rather than try to make them do my path. And that takes quite frankly, I mean, I'm just going to, I mean, we're friends now. We've been going for like 20 minutes. Like that, that's an act of faith. Yeah. Cause it's out of my control. And I have to believe that that's God right. cares for my kid and that, their path is one that's true and can be faithful. That's right. Um, and it doesn't mean there aren't mistakes along the way, but let's be honest. Like I made mistakes along the way. They just, you know, they just didn't show up in social media because I didn't, didn't have it yet. Right. That's right. Which, 
we tend to forget that probably. I put myself in that category. Some We can forget, especially the older we get, that we forget that we made mistakes, that we didn't have it all figured out, that mm-hmm. that our life wasn't maybe as neat and tidy as we think. Even our, our path was a little straighter than what they are today. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still a lot of journeying we had to go through. And I think one of the things that's so important about your research and what you're saying right now is that what we need to understand when we can understand more about what they're facing mm-hmm. is it gives us empathy. It gives us understanding. And oftentimes, like you said, the question that they maybe emerging adults just dread is, you know, so what do you, you know, what do you do? What do you want to be? Those kinds of questions that unintentionally put pressure on them. And then they start to think, as you say, well, what's wrong with me? You know, what's wrong with me that, that my path doesn't look a certain way. And when we add that in with a mental health crisis in the world today and, and lots of other things, on top of that, I think we are adding stress and anxiety on top of our young people unintentionally, but because what they hear from us is, well, what's wrong with you that you're not doing it the way that we did, or I think you should, or that the right. culture says you should right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in this, they are getting messages um, that basically perfectionism only counts, that um, if you're not exceptional, you're invisible. These are hard messages. I mean, I'm kind of like, what's wrong with being average? Like, you know, being average is actually really great. Um, but, you know, these these messages come their way. And I think it can be um, debilitating oftentimes for young people because to fail means I'm not perfect or that I'm not exceptional. And, um, you know, again, these are part of this is is life. We we all all bump into these walls that we have to overcome. Um, so I'm. I know they're going to run into that, but I, I just think that there's an added layer of, of intensity that this generation is facing that perhaps our generations um, haven't. And I think, just like you said, I think that just evokes empathy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that- let's talk about empathy for a minute. Let's yeah. talk about why empathy is so important. I think at one point in your book, uh, you say that it is really the key. Listening and empathy is the key, the key to yeah. connecting with mm-hmm. emerging adults and coming alongside them and partnering with them. So say yeah. more about why empathy is so important. Yeah, I think in the work that that we've done, we've just realized that if there isn't empathy, there isn't much. Like, you know, it's easy to program at, it's easy to parent at, it's harder to parent with, it's harder to do life or company with, right? Because it, it asks something different of us. It actually um, uh, invites us to step into the spaces that young adults um, inhabit and and try to really understand their lives. And so that's what empathy is. It's perspective taking and it's thinking about that. We talk about it uh, in some of our work of saying like empathy isn't just a good intention. It's actually something, a, it's actually a skill that you have to keep working at, right? And, um, and we realize this in a couple of ways. Um, there are some psychological studies that talk about this idea of um, what they call closeness bias, right? Sometimes we can be so familiar with someone and be so close to them that we can actually stop being curious about them, right? This can happen in a long-term like marriage relationship, or a lot of times it happens with ministry people that have done ministry a long time. We sort of rest on our laurels and thinking, well, I know that person, or I know how to do this. And so what we do is we we superimpose assumption, assumptions on them about previous experiences we've had with them or other people, and we assume that that's the, the true, rather than recognizing the fact that like every day, if I want to be really dramatic, but at least every season, like 
the person standing in front of us is a new person. They have new concerns. They have new challenges. They have new discoveries. They've, you know, morphed or changed in some sort of way. And I'm a new person as well. And so empathy is this uh, perpetual and intentional leaning in, um, being curious about the person in front of, of me so that when I seek to connect with them or know them or love them or support them, I'm, I'm very aware of who they, who is in front of me rather than the perception that I have about them. Right. So I think that's really important. The other thing that we talk about, which I won't get into great detail with this because it gets a little technical, but um, I, I call it intergenerational speed. And what it means is like, even within generations, we're finding that like, if you talk about uh, millennial or Gen Z or whatever, those are usually like 20 year cohorts. Um, usually it's about 20 years. What some sociologists and philosophers are saying right now is that within a, a cohort of 20 years, say Gen Z, there's actually four cohorts because a generation is really like five years because the world is moving faster and faster. It's creating an alienation between us with regards to the common um, experiences that we have with each other. So sometimes in our communities, and maybe you feel like this way um, as a grandparent or an adult, if you're on this, on this podcast right now, like it's hard to know what to talk about with young people. That's intergenerational speed. It's not because you're dumb. It's not because young people aren't interested. It's just the fact that the, the common language, the common experiences that you think you have are less and less. And this makes it really, really difficult. The example I use all the time, and this really, really resonates with young people, is like a senior in high school is on a different social platform than a freshman in high school. That's how fast it's moving, right? Mm. So I, I, that's just one example. But I, I think what it means is we don't give up. It just means that empathy is the pathway to us leaning in a little bit more. We have to work harder to connect with other generations because we live in a world where the shared experiences are a little bit less than they were before, right? So I always like to encourage, especially older types, like, like I, I tell you this not to discourage you, but like, if it's hard, it's because it is. You're not weird. Like, it's totally okay. And so we just have to work a little bit harder to connect with our kids or the young people that we work with. So don't give that's, up. I guess that's the point. So good. So mm -hmm. helpful. The the example you gave between the senior and the freshman just hit me pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Social media, that is um, those platforms and how quickly they change. That's That oh, hits yeah. me hard because it's so true how quickly that does happen. I'm wondering as we, we talk about empathy, I'm thinking of people who are listening who are a youth mentor, they're a coach, they're a parent, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're a ministry worker, youth leader, someone comes to them, an emerging adult, and they're having a conversation and the the mentor, the older adult is saying, gosh, I really want to, okay, I'm going to practice my empathy right now. I want to mm -hmm. lean in. I want to do this. Yeah. Um, what does that practically look like? Yeah. Well, I, I, I always like to start with um, giving space for young people to be experts uh, of their own lives. So um, I find that we can talk about a lot of things and I'm in realms of teaching all the time where I get to talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> um, but I find that uh, empathy and relationships are oftentimes about trying to be open to what other people want to talk about. So I think empathy asks questions like, what are you interested in? You know, tell me what you're excited about. Um, tell me your story. Like, how did you end up here? What, you know, what, what, tell me something that, you know, who you're related to or that type of thing, right? I feel like 
um, young people are experts in their own stories and their own interests. And I think if we start there, I think it gives permission for young people to talk about what they're expert in rather than trying to quiz them on things that maybe they don't feel expert in. So I think that that's a great start. I think a second move is when we get to empathy and we begin to understand them. I do think part of empathy takes a different level. And this is where in some of our research, we talk about the importance of these questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. And we feel like these are more than young people questions. These are like people, people questions. Like we're all asking questions of identity, like who am I? Or questions of belonging, like where do I fit? Or questions of purpose, like what difference can I make in the world, right? And I find that if I listen close enough to young people as they tell their stories or their laments or what they're excited about, they usually come from a place of identity, belonging, or purpose. And I think that begins to help me appreciate that their stories or their questions or their frustrations are more than them just being young people. They actually come from this working out that they're trying to do in their lives of to, to quest and clarify who they are as people who they feel really connected with and what their community is and what they want to do with their lives. And I feel like what that allows me to do then is I can find questions with regards to identity, belonging, or purpose that can almost uh, encourage the conversation, like to, to, to kind of lock in on what they're interested in or concerned about. I can begin to continue to ask questions for them. And that helps me appreciate even a bit more about who they are, or what they're working through. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, like just yesterday I was giving a lecture and a student pulled me aside afterward and they're like, you know what, um, you know, thanks for what you shared. It was really, really helpful. Um, I'm really, I'm really frustrated with myself. Right. So I'd be like, you know, empathy would be like, oh, you're frustrated with yourself. I'm really, really sorry. What's that like? What does that feel like? Right. But I'm listening. I'm like, well, what, where does the frustration come from? And then this is when this person said, I'm frustrated that I don't know who I want to be. And I feel like I'm trying to be what everybody else wants to be. Mm. Well, that's a purpose. That's purpose, right? Um, uh, a little bit, a little bit of identity. They kind of overlap, but you know, it was just really interesting to kind of, and then I'm like, so then I, it helped me to kind of go. So, so who, who is telling you who you ought to be? See where this is going? Like, and all of a sudden we had this really beautiful conversation after class. that was probably better than my lecture, quite frankly. Um, that, opened up a whole new possibility uh, for them. And, you know, the other thing was this, is that I think, I mean, very practically, uh, I'm just glad um, that I didn't have anything after class because I think sometimes part of empathy is just being available, right? I guarantee, and you all know this, like if you work with young people, like they're not going to want to talk to you at times that are convenient for you. Like I'm a morning person. Like my kids want to talk to me at midnight. Drives right. me nuts, right? That's when you're falling asleep. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, part of empathy too is just like, we have to kind of show up on their terms, even if it's inconvenient for us, right? So, I mean, I could have told the student like, hey, you know what, email me. Let's, you know, I'd love to set up an appointment with you, which would have been totally appropriate. If I had to go somewhere else, I would have totally done that. But there was something about the moment where he was ready to kind of reveal a bit of himself. And, um, and I, I'm glad I was there for it. You know what I mean? So I, I think there's questions that we can ask and tactics. And I think there's also just a presence. Mm. And this is really hard for us as adults because young people think they're busy. Like I will put an adult against a young person every time. We are more busy, right? Like there's no doubt. Like we're going to win the busyness thing. But 
but I think if we care about young people, I think, I think there's an element where we just have to think about like, how do we make ourselves less busy so that we can be available for, for those that we love and care about. And so that when they're ready to show up, we're just kind of ready to go. Right. Mm. Uh, the metaphor I always use, it's I'm a runner. So this is like when my kids were young, I mean, I would go, I, I run almost every day. I go running and I'd always ask my kids to run and they're like, Oh yeah, maybe. And then I'm like, I can't wait any longer. I'm going to go running. Right. I come back and inevitably one of my kids is like in their running outfit. They're like, Hey, can we go for a run? <laughs> you know what my answer is at that point. And I made a commitment to this. The answer is yes. The answer is always yes. And even though I'm exhausted, I'm like another couple of miles with my kid. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I think in some ways for me, that's been sort of an, uh, an ongoing metaphor that I've tried to hold. Like it, when in doubt, I'm going to try to say yes. And I'm not talking sugar daddy. Yes. I'm talking about like the impulse. I think sometimes with us as adults is to say no, like, cause, cause it's going to wreck our schedule because we're too busy. So let's wreck our schedules in the name of yes for young people, right? I don't know. Well, I don't know what you think about that, but I'll just give you that. It's so good. <laughs> and like I said, as a parent uh, of kids this age who also have friends who also I have the joy of having in and out of my house at this age, yeah. it is it is difficult to do, but everything you just said just reminds you why uh, you need to say yeah. yes and be available at those moments. And, it, and it's this. it's a short oh. time, right? Like we're, so they're not going to... It's a short time that they're going to be asking us to do this. Yeah. And so jumping on board is really important. I love that. And you said something that I just want to say that's really well, that's really, really important. Um, I know that saying yes and being available sometimes is a luxury because some of those that are on this call are single parents. Mm. You are, uh, you're doing a lion's share of the work and, you know, kudos to you. You are my hero. You're my heroes. I, I think, I think what Suan you said is great is like, we can say yes to each other's kids as well. We can be a community, right? Like sometimes I have to say no, but it's great to know that I've got a community of people that can say yes for my kid, right? And if we do that for each other, I feel like that's what the church is. Like that, this is great news all around, you know? So I think there's an individual yes, but I think there can be a collective um, yes as as well. And, you know, maybe one more thing, and now I'm really getting off on a tangent. I, you know, I find that as uh, parents of emerging adults, enter that phase, they often feel rather lonely. Like um, middle school, high school, like you're kind of in the school system. Churches have much more defined program oftentimes. All of a sudden everybody graduates and parents are like, I, I don't I don't know what I'm doing. Like, and, and I don't know who's around, right? So like, if you're a parent of like a 20 something, like go find other parents of 20 somethings and like cling to each other because you need each other. Like it's not over. And it also makes you realize that you're not going nuts. Like, honestly, you're not like, like your kid's not weird and you're not going nuts. Like we're all going to make it. I promise you, but don't hide, like step into any sort of connection that you can, you can get. So, well, that's so good. And I think having conversations like this is what allows parents mm. to be able to share uh, their own struggles that they're going through with their children because, you know, parents often don't want to share the things because they also think that the path their kids should be on should look like yeah. everyone else's. And so yeah. when we are able to say to one another, it's okay, like it's yeah. okay, then it gives us permission to, I think, be more vulnerable and go to each other in community more because we do realize we're in it together and all the the kids are dealing with some of these things in one way or another. Absolutely. 
hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. I mean, 100%. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, Steve, we're, we're talking about church now, and I do want to spend a few minutes talking about the church, um, capital C, as a body, mm-hmm. because yeah. we're talking on the individual level, how we can lean in to emerging adults, how we can be there for them, how we can even um, yeah. build a community around them. When it comes to the church, mm-hmm. uh, you say over and over again, and I love it, you say over and over again that you need to start with people people before programs. This is not about building a program for 20 somethings and hoping they will come. Right. So talk for a few minutes about number one, how do um, emerging adults, at least we're, we're talking in broad terms, experience the church and what can we do as a church to be a place that embraces them? Yeah. Two great questions. And I really appreciate you asking that. So, um, I am an optimist, but I don't think it's a, um, I don't think it, well, I can't, I guess it could be to a fault, but I am optimistic for about a lot of things. And I, I'll tell you this, I'm optimistic about the church. I believe that it does embody the good news. And I think that, uh, I think young people are actually looking for good news. And, um, and so I get a bit uncomfortable, uh, oftentimes when you read like, you know, on the Twitter feed or, you know, whatever, what, you know, any sort of social feed, like, Young people hate God and the church. There are a bunch of nuns out there. Like this generation is ruined. You know, I, I just really get uncomfortable with that. Now, I'm also a realist in the sense that we do see declining um, numbers with regards to church attendance and as far as, uh, as far as young adults go. We see declining numbers in every age group. Let's just be really clear about that. Um, but I also know that we, we also have research that shows that there are remarkable young adults that, uh, of which faith is really, really significant for them. And they're doing amazing things. So what I like to remind people is, like, while there's a narrative of maybe declining attendance, it's not the only narrative. There are multiple narratives. And I think that's really important, whether at a meta level or even at a personal level, when we think about our kids. Like, it's not over for them. Like there's actually beautiful ways that um, young people are wanting to connect with faith communities if we can figure out how. I think to get to your point, I think um, I don't think that's necessarily through a program. Programs are not bad. I think the problem is, is that programs are limited, especially for emerging adults. Remember what I said at the beginning of the podcast? Like if you're in high school or middle school, or your your lives are pretty much on the same rhythms. It's really easy to schedule a program because you kind of know Wednesday nights or Sunday afternoons, generally speaking, are going to be open for particular people. Like all bets are off with emerging adults. Like when you ask them, like, what, you know, where do you work? They'll be, they'll be like, which of the three jobs do you want me to tell you? Right. Like, so the, 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 um, the specific, the, um, the customization of their lives make it hard to have this y'all come together and, and, and do sort of things. And so I think instead, I think it's probably more interesting to think about emerging adult ministry or young adult ministry as something where we're just really trying to help young people connect with people in the church that are helping to negotiate the next part of, of their lives. Like ministry to like an emerging adult is like a meal with a family. It's like a business major that wants to talk with a business person in the church about what it means to be a Christian and a, and a financier. It's about a young mother that is trying to figure out 
like this parenting thing and just needs help because her family is 3000 miles away. Right. Like, I think it can be something that's much more personal and much more particular. And I'm kind of like, well, this is like what the church does. This is our jam. We are loaded with experience and money and resource and mentors that can really show up for young adults in ways that they really need them. And, you know, this is a lot of the current research that we're doing. We're really looking at emerging adults and the transitions that they're going through. And we're identifying key transitions um, and really kind of saying, asking the question, um, let's show up where young adults say they need us the most. That's where we show up. We can blame them for we, where we want them the most, or we can show up where they say they need us the most. And it seems like that's very missional, and that's what the church is all about. So if we take that seriously, and we can maybe let go of um, sort of maybe the, um, the sugar high that we get with programming, we might find that there's effective ministry happening all over the place with the potential for it if we want to sort of muster our resources in that direction. And so one of the ways I've been thinking about it is, you know, we can we can blame young adults for attendance, but maybe a better word is participation. Like how are young adults are participating? Are they in a small group? Are they connected with the mentor? Are they checking in once in a while? Um, I think what you're going to find is that the percentages are much higher than the doom and gloom everybody's leaving church people um, often have because that's a very limited thing. And in reality, if you ask the typical church person how many times they attend church on a regular basis, I guarantee it's not weekly. So sometimes I feel like we put this expectation on young adults that it actually isn't true um, for the rest of us as well. And I, I think we just have to sort of think about that. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that there's a reality um, sort of associated with that. And one other thing with that, with regards to young people, I, I've done a lot of work with um, studying uh, college students. Um, we sometimes hear that college students like stray away from the faith and everything else. Like this is like a major issue or something like that. Let's just remember that uh, the kids that went to church and stopped going to church in college, that trend has been going on since the 70s for the last 50 years. And it's not theological, it's developmental. If I've been told for 18 years to go to church because my parents told me to, that first Sunday morning when I'm at college and I feel like I'm a little more of an adult, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna not go to church. I don't recommend that, I'm not saying that's a good thing. But do you see, that's more about agency and them making a choice for themselves rather than like, I hate God. It's just more of like, I'm just not gonna do what my parents have always told me to do and I'm gonna try that out, right? So even the uh, actions of young adults um, have an interpretation that we need uh, to pay attention to. Otherwise, I think we can default and just think it's theological or that they don't care about God or that they're all, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Something. You know what I mean? Like, I yes, just don't yes. find that really helpful. And quite frankly, I'll, I'll be really honest with you, especially those coming from a Christian tradition, a lot of them feel a bit of guilt and shame that they're not following a traditional path of church. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons they're not following it is because of what we talked about with the slides before. If the church is programmed for a linear life and they don't have a linear life, they literally don't know where they fit. If I don't know where I'm going to fit, why would I show up? I already feel like I'm odd man out. Now I just feel like, I guess you guys don't really know where to put me and I don't want to be a project, right? So, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of things for us to think about and, you know, probably not, we can't probably solve it all on this podcast, but I do think... <laughs> Um, 
I think, again, this helps us at least turn this idea a little bit and, and be really helpful. And let me just say one more thing, because I think I just want to land this in a really, really important place. Parents, mm-hmm. like just because your kid isn't maybe going to church the way they did at high school, do not give up on them and do not think that they still don't have faith. Faith is an ongoing changing process. I talk about in some of my work that young people are asking, how does my faith keep up with my increasingly complex world? They're negotiating a lot and they want to know if faith can continue. And um, and so uh, their doubts, their challenges, their questions um, are part of a faithing process it's not them giving up on Jesus or things like that. And I think if we can come with that mentality, it maybe lowers the temperature of our anxiety just a little bit uh, and, rec- and helps us recognize that they're just in process. And that's okay. As a matter of fact, it's, it's actually quite beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's okay too. So don't give up on them. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier that, you know, we are not the author of our children's stories, of our grandchildren's stories, of the people that we coach or teach. We are not the authors of their story. God is. And so when we feel those places of where we're starting to have anxiety over our kids' trajectory or our young people's trajectory, we need to come back to that and say, okay, God, what have you called me to do? You have called me to release control to you. You have called me to be empathetic and understanding, and you've called me to be present. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I'm hearing from you. And I think when you when you can come at it from that perspective, it feels like, okay, I can do those things. You know, yeah. I can't solve all the, I can't solve everything for them, but yeah. I can do those things and I can keep showing up and I can keep being present and I can keep reminding them of who God is. And maybe I, that's enough. I couldn't have said it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think, I think we can get overwhelmed and think that this is complicated. I think that there's some basic things like you just said that I, I think are real wins and, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a growth thing for all of us, quite frankly. And that's good too. So, yeah. 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 Well, Steve, I, I mean, I had six pages of questions for you. I think maybe we hit a quarter of them. This is gold. So I am so glad that you will be hopefully God willing coming here to preach in January and we can yes. hear more about this. I know people will be really excited to you. People can find your books. They can go to your website. There's all kinds of ways people can learn more about this. And so uh, I know people will do that. Um, but I want to wrap up just by one question as we step back from some of this. And this is a question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. Um, My podcast is called Deeper Still. And the reason it's called Deeper Still is because um, we really believe that God is never done with us, right? Mm. He is always calling us to draw closer to him, to transform who we are. And sometimes we get to places in our own journeys where we think, I got this. I I have this figured out. And then just when we think that, God says, "Uh -uh, no, no, no. And he calls us to go deeper. And then just when we think we get comfortable there, he calls us to go deeper still. And so, Steve, in the midst of all the things that you have going on, all of the work that you do, all of the um, your own family life and spiritual journey, I have to ask you, where is God calling you to go deeper still? Oh, wow. Nice light question at the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, I, I think that's a great question. And I think um, I, I think one of the things that um, I am learning as my kids are getting older and making choices is I'm trying to continually reimagine what it means to show up for them and, um, and what it means for me to be a a present parent uh, in their life. And, um, 
And I think that's important to me, not because I just love my kids, but I, I believe that sometimes maybe some of the patterns that I have are more about my protection than they are about uh, me asking perhaps what God might be trying to show me or teach me about who I am as a person um, uh, as well. So, you know, I would say that that's a, a, a deeper still phenomenon um, that I'm, I'm living quite um, viscerally in right now is um, my, my middle daughter and her um, her husband just uh, moved from Southern California to another part of the country. So, you know, I, I think uh, I think I think about those things a lot. So maybe I'll, I'll leave it with that. How's that? Beautiful answer. Um, great way to end the conversation, just to remind all of us that we're in this soup together. And uh, I appreciate you being vulnerable and honest about that. So Steve, I can't thank you enough for your time, for your expertise, for um, everything you shared today. I know it's going to be an encouragement to so many who listen. So thank you for that. Just continued blessings on all the many things that you're doing. We will be cheering you on for sure. Man, it's been a great conversation. I love what you're doing and I'm grateful for all those that have listened in. May you know God's grace and peace today. Thanks, Steve. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you learned as much as I did from this conversation. I mean, I am blown away. There is so much wisdom, so much expertise, so much passion that I know I will be sitting with for a little while as I try to get a better handle on how to love and understand and interact with the young adults in my life. And I hope the same is true for you as well. I'm so incredibly grateful for Steve, and I just want to acknowledge there is so much ground that we didn't cover that Steve does cover in his books, on his blog, on his social media platforms. So be sure, if you are interested in this conversation, be sure to head over to stephenargue.com. Follow him on social media as well. You will not be sorry. And hey, if you're local, mark your calendars because Steve will be preaching here at Christchurch in the western suburbs of Chicago on January 14th, 2024. So be sure to mark that now. You will not want to miss Steve in person. Alrighty, friends. Well, that's enough for me today. We'll be back in two weeks when my good friend Chris Stevenson will be joining me for a two-part conversation on Advent, the journey of the Magi's, and just spending some time getting our hearts ready for Christmas. I can't believe I'm saying Christmas. It's hard to believe that it's here, but it will be upon us before we know it. So be sure to come back. Until then, make sure to pay attention to how God is calling you to go deeper still and go in his grace. Oh,